if everybody's okay with it, let's get it started just a minute or so um, early since this is our last class and we got a pretty good bit of information to, to go through. So good to see all of you this evening. Hope you've had a, a good week. Hope you've had a good day. It's always a blessing to come together and study and grow. I see we have some visitors here with us and certainly am glad to have guests, to have visitors. You're certainly welcomed here. If you have your Bible with you, take it out and go over into the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. Please go in your Bible to Matthew chapter 4. Lesson 9, the last lesson in your workbook about the miracles of Jesus. We have reached the end of this quarter or the series of lessons. Uh, this class is the official last class for this series. Uh, we have studied over the past few months about the last week of Christ. We have studied about the miracles of Christ. Uh, we've covered a lot of territory as we've tried to experience the fullness of Christ over the past year. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you to all of you uh, for studying with me, uh, for growing with me. You've just been fantastic. I appreciate you putting up with me and being patient with me. And uh, I, I just think we've learned a lot together. And I just want to just thank you for being such a wonderful class. I couldn't have asked for a better group of Christians to study the Word of God with about some very important information over the past few months. This coming Sunday, Lord willing, uh, Brother Mitch and I, we're going to begin teaching uh, the book of Revelation. We're going to be teaching Revelation all the way through August. We have currently uh, reached the conclusion almost of the book of Revelation in our Bible reading. And uh, is, that's going to work out just great, isn't it? We just finished reading Revelation. Now we're going to study and dive into Revelation. So we're going to begin that uh, this coming Sunday. Also, I want to plug the new Bible reading schedule. I don't know if you have one or not yet, but make sure you get a copy of the new Bible reading schedule. You can download it from the website. You can get a, a, a printed copy in the lobby. We are reading the wisdom literature this year, and I'm going to have some things to say about that Bible reading schedule on Sunday as I'll be offering uh, a preview in my lesson on Sunday of what to expect and this year's Bible reading. I'm really excited about this year's Bible reading, and I would recommend that you go ahead and jump on that. This is not the kind of Bible reading, this year's reading is not the kind of reading you want to fall off the wagon real early. You want to stay with this one because uh, if you fall off the wagon, it's going to be hard to get back on. So go ahead and get you a copy of that and get ready to start that in a few, in a few days. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to jump into our study tonight. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you so much, Father, for the Bible, for the scriptures, for the revelation you've given us of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that you will bless our Bible study tonight as we wrap up these lessons about the miracles of Jesus. I pray, Father, that our faith has been enhanced, that we've all grown together, that we've learned a lot, and that we will be able to be more zealous and fruitful in the kingdom as a result of these studies. I pray, Father, for those who are part of the spiritual family here who are going through various trials, uh, whether it's through pan the pandemic or through uh, the economy or whatever 
things they may be going through, whether it's family issues, marriage issues, parenting issues. I pray that you will have your hand of blessing on, on, on your people in this place. Bless us, God, tonight. Let all that is done during the next few minutes be to your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 4. Let's start there. Let's start with Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse number 23. Matthew 4, verse 23. The Bible says this, Jesus was going throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demonics, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. I wanted to start this evening by reading those verses because I believe they give us a great summary of the ministry of Jesus. They give us a great summary of his earthly ministry that took place for about three years. Notice how they tell us that the ministry of Jesus consisted of preaching. It consisted of preaching the gospel of the kingdom throughout all of Galilee. And it also consisted of miracles. It also consisted of him confirming that his message, his gospel did come from heaven. He did things like heal every kind of sickness and disease. He healed epileptics. He healed people with pains, paralytics, and demonics. Demonics. What are demonics? Where demonics are people who were possessed with demons. Demon possession. I want to talk with you about that tonight. That's, going to work. That's where we're going to conclude our, our classes about the miracles of Jesus. We're going to talk about Jesus' ability to cast out the demons. Demon possession. Demon possession. That's something that continues to be a very curious thing in our culture. Uh, we see that with movies that have come out through the years like The Exorcist, right? Demon possession is something that, that people have been perplexed by and curious about for a very long time. Demon possession is something that we don't find in the Bible until the time of Jesus. You don't find it in the Old Testament. You don't find it in the time of the patriarchs. You don't find it in the time of Moses when he's leading Israel. You don't find it in the United Kingdom and the divided kingdom. Now, some may want to point to King Saul and some language in the Bible that may make reference to Saul having a demon. I want to submit that if you study that carefully, that is not talking about demon possession. That probably is more of a reference to his evil demeanor, his evil spirit towards David and his jealousy towards David. But you don't find demon possession, demons occupying people's bodies until you get to the time of Jesus. Demons are also called in the scriptures demonics. They're called evil spirits. They're called workers of Satan. After entering into people, the Bible shows us that they actually took full control of people. They took away people's free moral agency. When the demon got inside somebody, the person then was the demon. They, the, they, the, the demon controlled their mind, their actions, everything they did. This person no longer had the ability to do the things that they wanted to do. The demon took full, full control. 
It is interesting how in Matthew 25, if you go to Matthew 25 and look at verse 41, Jesus, as he talks about the devil, he, he lets us know that the devil doesn't work alone. He's never worked alone. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 25 and verse number 41 when talking about hell. He says on the judgment day, Matthew 25, 41, that he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, and to the eternal or everlasting fire, which has been prepared for the devil and who else? His angels. The devil has workers. He has people who are under his authority, who are in allegiance with him. These are the evil spirits. These are the demons, the demons that even possess people in the time of Jesus. Now, another thing I want to say here is the gospel records Jesus, but not just Jesus. His apostles also possess the ability to cast out demons. And Jesus said they were going to possess this ability. Go over to Mark chapter 16 and Mark the 16th chapter, beginning with verse number 15. Before Jesus went to heaven in Mark 16, and verse 15, he told his his apostles to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. You go preach. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Verse 17, these signs, miraculous signs, will accompany those who have believed in my name. They're going to cast out demons. They're going to cast out demons. They're going to pick up or they're going to speak new tongues. They're going to pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then when the Lord Jesus has spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word, confirmed their message came from God, confirmed their message came from Jesus. They confirmed it by the signs that followed. The signs would include everything that's mentioned in verse 17, casting demons out of people, speaking in new tongues, picking up serpents and the serpents not being able to harm them. Jesus said his apostles were going to be able to cast out demons. Now, let me ask you this. This is not in the workbook, but it's kind of a bonus question. Can you think of a time in the Bible when an apostle cast out a demon? A specific instance. I want book, chapter, and verse for it. Book, chapter, and verse for a time when an apostle cast out a demon. Yes. Acts 16. Acts 16. Paul did it. That's exactly right. Acts 16, write this down, 16 through 21. Acts 16, 16 through 21. Paul did it after they had converted Lydia in Philippi. Remember, there was this slave girl who kept bugging Paul all the time, following him everywhere. She had a demon in her, and she was making her masters a lot of money. And Paul got so frustrated by this that he cast the demon out. And when he cast the demon out of the, out of the slave girl, the men got upset because their prophet was gone and they brought Paul before the authorities, Paul and Silas. So Acts 16, verses 16 through 21 is an example of an apostle doing what Jesus said they were gonna do in Mark chapter 16. Now we're gonna focus on what Jesus does here. And there are many instances we could look at in the Bible of this, but we're gonna break it down to just three, okay? We're going to look at when Jesus did this in the, in the land of the Gadarenes. We're going to look at the Syrophoenician woman's daughter. And we're going to look at a time when he did this after he was transfigured on the mountain. 
Now, the first example of this that we're going to look at, we've already kind of talked about it, so we're not going to go into a lot of detail on that. We actually talked about this first one all the way back when we looked at Mark 8 through 10. Remember that explosion of miracles? We did a class on that. So we've already kind of talked about that, but let's just kind of review just, just because it does tie into this lesson. This episode here, and I would invite you to Mark's account right now, uh, Mark chapter 5. If you want to go to Mark chapter 5, park yourself there. This episode here, in this episode, we have Jesus going across the Sea of Galilee and literally across it now. He's going across the Sea of Galilee to, to the land of the Gadarenes. Once he and the apostles get there, they encounter two men. Two men, Matthew tells us, and these men appear to be extremely violent. In fact, one of the men appears to be a little bit more violent than the other one. That's why Mark and Luke focus just on the one man. He appears to be even more violent. These men are living where? Where are they living? Among the tombs. They're living in the cemetery. <laughs> Who wants to live in a cemetery? They're living among the tombs. Nobody can pass by them. That's how violent they are. They can't even be bound in chains. When they are, when people do try to bind them, they, they break the chains. They seem to have incredible, maybe even some supernatural kind of strength. And as they live in the tombs and among the mountains, the Bible says they scream all day. They scream day and night. This sounds like something out of a, out of a horror movie, doesn't it? Men living in the cemetery. They can't be bound with chains. They're violent. You can't pass through there. They're screaming day and night. They even bring physical harm to themselves, don't they? They gnash themselves with stones. They hurt their bodies. The demons have full possession of these men. Now, in Mark's account, when you look at what Mark says in his account, the Mark says that many unclean spirits, many unclean spirits possess these men. These unclean spirits, from what the text says, when you look at verses 6 through 8, they recognize Jesus, don't they? They know who Jesus is. Notice what the scripture says there in verse number 6. When, th when this man, the man who had the demons in one of them, saw Jesus from a distance, he ran up and he bowed before him. Keep in mind, the demons possessed this man. And they're shouting and shouting with a loud voice. He says, what business do we have with each other? Jesus, son of the most high, I implore you to God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. So Legion which is a reference to a great number of demons inside of this man and these men. These, these demons recognized Jesus. They recognized who he was. They recognized him as the son of God. And they begged for mercy. Notice how the demons begged Jesus for mercy. Do you see that? What did they beg Jesus to do in the text, if you study that? What did they beg Jesus to do, the demons? Yeah, don't, don't cast us out the land, don't cast us into the abyss, but put us where? Put us in the pigs. Put us in the pigs. So you have demons begging Jesus for mercy. Put us in the swine. And that's what Jesus does. He gives mercy to demons here. Do you see that? What could he have done to these demons if he wanted to? 
yes, totally destroy them. Put them somewhere that they did not want to go, but Jesus grants the demons mercy. He puts them in the swine, and once that takes place, the swine, then a bunch of them go in the water and they all drown and die. So, so that's one we've talked about. That's a powerful one. I mean, this is an example of Jesus not just casting one demon out, but he's casting a bunch of them out and putting them in pigs. Brother John, yes, sir. I don't, it's hard to say. I think some translations may even say the outer darkness. It's hard to say. Peter does talk about, and I think in 2 Peter chapter 2, how there have been some angels bound in chains. I mean, what goes on in all the spiritual world, John, just for, at least in my judgment, I, I, I don't know. I really don't. I just know this, that it was a bad place. And they, didn't, and they knew of it, and they knew Jesus could put them there, and they didn't want to go there. So, so you know, that, that's enough for me on that one, John, you know, but good question. Ryan, yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, they rather, yeah, that didn't last very long, did it? <laughs> yeah, but that just shows you how, ba they, how bad they knew this was, how bad they knew it could be for them. So now go to Matthew chapter 15. Let's talk about this one a little bit, okay? Matthew 15. Let me read this one. Uh, Matthew 15, 21, verse 21. The Bible says this. Jesus went away from there, and he withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from the region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly, cruelly, notice that word cruelly, demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. And he answered and said, I will send only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to give the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It should be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. So let's talk about this one a little bit. First, this miracle takes place where? Where is Jesus' geography? I've hoped, if anything I've hoped I've done over the last few months, is emphasize the importance of geography. Where does this miracle take place? Tyre and Sidon. Why is that important to emphasize? Why is that important to point out? That it's taking place in Tyre and Sidon. It's not Israel. If you look on a map, and I apologize for not having my map up tonight. I keep forgetting that. But this is going north of Galilee, north of Judea. This is Gentile territory. Tyre and Sidon. Jesus is in Gentile territory. And that's what the Decapolis was at, at the time of Jesus. The pigs are there. Jews shouldn't be around pigs. So he's in Gentile territory. So it's Tyre and Sidon. This shows us that Jesus is offering blessings, miraculous blessings, not just to Jews, but he's offering the Gentiles too. Gentiles are receiving miraculous blessings from Jesus. He encounters a Gentile woman. This is a Gentile woman. She's got a problem. Somebody tell me, what's her problem? Her daughter's got a demon. Her daughter's got a demon that is cruelly abusing her. Her, her, her daughter, her child is being tormented by a demon. 
And can a, can a regular physician help you if you got a demon in you? You can't do a surgery and get a demon out. I'm sorry. This is a spiritual problem. But she knows where to go, doesn't she? She goes to Jesus. This is a Gentile woman going to Jesus. Now, what, in what way does she identify Jesus? Look at the language of the text. She calls Jesus two things that's very important. Lord. So that recognizes authority. Lord. He's got authority. He's the Lord. What's the second thing she calls him? Son of David. And that shows us she recognizes him as the Messiah. He's the Messiah. So that shows that Gentiles, this is another example of how Gentiles even, some Gentiles were familiar with the prophets. They were familiar with the coming of a Messiah. Remember the Magi. That's another example of it. We find instances, little hints in the gospel where there were Gentiles who were familiar with the Old Testament scriptures and they were anticipating a Messiah. She calls him son of David. David, everyone who was familiar with the Old Testament knew that the Messiah was going to come through David. So she calls him that. That's humility. That's reverence for Jesus. Now, we look at verse 23. When she comes to Jesus with this problem, how does the Lord initially, initially respond to her? He doesn't say anything. He just, he just stands there. He didn't say anything. How did the apostles respond? Get her out of here. They have no respect for her. They have no sympathy for her plight. They don't, do they? They say, she's screaming at us. Get her out of here. That'll show you a few cultural things there if you allow it to. One, that shows their lack of respect for Gentiles, but it also shows their lack of respect for women. And that was common in the first century where many Jewish men did not have a high level of respect for women. They just didn't. And this is what makes the gospel so powerful when you understand that. It makes it powerful what Paul says in Galatians 3 when he says, In Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ. That's radical teaching in the first century. So, so, so that's important to notice that. So the apostles want her gone. They don't want to hear from her. But then look at the Lord's words in verse 24. What does the Lord say in verse 24 after the apostles show some disgust in the situation? Okay, so let's talk about that. I want to talk about that language a little bit. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The lost sheep of the house of Israel, Gary, you said it. Can you say it again, please, sir? The that's the Jews. Lost sheep of the house of Israel, the Jewish people. Matthew chapter 10. Look at Matthew 10. This is not, this is not uncommon terminology. This is not an uncommon thought that Jesus expressed in his ministry. In Matthew 10 and verse 1, remember the limited commission when he just sends out a few disciples to go and preach? Matthew 10 and verse 1, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits. There it is. They have authority over unclean spirits to cast them out. So they're, they're able to do this even in the time of Jesus and his ministry and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now you have a list of the names of the apostles in verses 2 down to verse number 5. But look at verse 5, verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them do not go in the way of the Gentiles. Don't go to the Gentiles. Don't in, enter any city of the Samaritans. Don't go to the Samaritans, but rather go where? To the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The limited commission is called limited for a reason. 
It was limited to the Jews. Why the Jews? Why just the Jews? Doesn't God look at everybody? Why just the Jews? The gospel must go to the Jew first and to the Greek, Romans 1.16. The Jews should have been the ones most prepared to receive the gospel, to receive the Messiah because they were God's children under the old covenant system. So Jesus is wanting the gospel to go to them first, then later is going to Gentiles. And Paul makes that point in Romans 1 and verse 16. And so Jesus says, my work is limited to Israel. Does she take no for an answer? Okay, that sounds like a no to me. Like, nope, not going to do this. Does she take no for an answer? She doesn't take no for an answer. She continues to persist. When you go back and you look at verse number 25 of the text, she says, Lord, help me. And she's bowing down before him as she does it. She's showing great humility. And so the Lord says something interesting in verse 26. He says it is not good to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. What is the bread? What does bread represent here in this context? Well, not just words, because she's not asking for the word of God. It's blessings. We're talking about blessings. It's not good to take the blessings that ought to go to God's children, which is Israel, and give it to the dogs. Who are the dogs? It's Gentiles in this context, people who are not God's people under the old covenant. If you do a word study on dogs and how it's used throughout the Bible, it is never used in a positive sense. Never. It's an insult. Paul uses the word dogs in Philippians to talk about false teachers. He calls them dogs. Peter says, when talking about Christians who leave the Lord, he says they're like a dog who eats his own vomit. Dogs are always used to bring, just talk about negative things in the Bible. So, so, so let's not sugarcoat this. Jesus here is saying it's not good to give God's blessings to people who are not God's children, the dogs. Now, why would the Lord say that? Well, let me offer this. I don't think the Lord is just being mean, ugly, and cruel to this woman, okay? The Lord knows what he's going to do. Doesn't he know everything? He knows what he's going to do. But he's saying this to test her and to make manifest her character. He wants to use it as a teaching opportunity. Teach his disciples. That's exactly right. He's going to use, he knows what he's going to do, but he's asking these questions and saying these things to set up what he's going to do. Uh, it's kind of like when God in the Garden of Eden, you know, he was asking questions he already knew the answer to. Where were you? Who told you that? God knows the answers, but he's asking questions to teach points. So that's what's going on here. So after he says it's not good to give that which is holy to the dogs, how does she respond to that? Does she give up? Does she say, you've insulted me? How dare you? I really like that, Gary. I like this woman's character a lot. Jesus loved her character. She doesn't get angry with the Lord. She doesn't show resentment and get an attitude with him. Instead, she displays humility. She says something that just touches our hearts today. She says that even the dogs eat the crumbs. 
They fall from the table. I, I'll just take the crumbs from you, Jesus. And then how we should be that, uh, that humble attitude that, Lord, I don't deserve anything from you. If you just give me the crumbs, you're giving me too much. And then how we should be. This woman shows humility, and the Lord knew she had that in her. It also foreshadows the gospel going to the Gentiles after they rejected the crumbs fall. Absolutely. You, that's really what the gospel is, Dale. The Jews, the, the God's children, they're rejecting the bread over and over again, but it goes to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles throughout the book of Acts are just like this woman. They're receiving it a whole lot better. That, that's an excellent point. So she displays humility. She displays faith. Jesus, in verse 28, calls her faith what? Great. There's not that many times where Jesus calls people's faith great in the Bible. Now, we studied one a few weeks ago. Remember, I think it was the centurion. Jesus said he had a great faith. Ironically, he's a Gentile, too. The Gentiles have great faith. Brother Chad, yes, sir. Well, Chad, if it's okay, don't ever call me a, any kind of dog. <laughs> no, I know what you're saying. No, I, that's, that's a good point. It is. As an example as opposed to a direct. Yes, and, and let me just say this about that, because that, that bothers a lot of people a lot of times. I don't know how Jesus said it. I, you, that's another thing. We don't know how he said it. We don't know, we don't know the twinkle that was in his eye or thing. You know what I'm saying? So I think there's a lot that, this, that we don't know about that. But I do know this, that He's setting up something to where her great character is clearly manifested. Uh, Brother Mitch, yes, sir. Well, the point being, you know, like, remember Lazarus at the rich man's table, uh, just for the dogs, just wanting the crumbs. The point being that if you're, if you're down with the dogs, want the crumbs, you're, you're at the bottom of the food chain. And, that, and that's where this poor lady was. Yep. She's at the bottom. She's at she, and, 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 and she has so, she's at the bottom, but she displays so much humility. Jesus says she had great faith because she wouldn't stop. In fact, that's another thing I want to point out is how she's persistent. Didn't Jesus teach about persistence in his ministry? Luke 18, the, the, the parable of the persistent widow. She keeps going to the judge and the judge says, I'll just give you what you want so you leave me alone. Jesus says it's good to be persistent. When asking God for blessings, she is a living example of that. So you've got great faith, humility, persistence, and the result of all that is a reward. Jesus takes the demon out. He takes it out. So that's another one. And notice it says immediately. I want to keep emphasizing that. Jesus does this. Now, one more thing, and I wish we had so much more time to talk about these things. As you can see, there's so much to say. Look at Matthew 17, Matthew 17, 14 through 21. I appreciate all your comments. It's great comments. Matthew 17, 14 through 21. That's another episode where Jesus casts a demon out of someone. This one takes place after he's transfigured on the mountain. I actually did a lesson on the transfiguration of Jesus. I would recommend uh, that you go to our website and see that because there's a lot going on beyond the surface with that. I, I submit that that whole thing with Elijah and Moses was a representation of the work between John and Jesus. But that's another story. I did a video on that a few months ago. But after Jesus is transfigured on the mountain and after the apostles, Peter, James and John, who were with him on the mountain, 
heard the voice of God say, this is my son, listen to him. When they come down, Jesus, and this is what happens when you got great authority and power. You can't escape, you know, people coming to you wanting help. And, and so Jesus gets no peace. He comes down and a man approaches him. He gets down from the mountain. This man is in a desperate situation. He's rock bottom, like Mitch said. He falls on his knees and he begs for help. What's his problem? What's his problem? He's got a son that's tormented by a demon. This son is sick. It appears that he's crazy even. And I'm saying that with all, with all sincerity. He's a lunatic. This demon has totally took control of his body. This demon is, is overtaking him to the point to where the, the, the young man, the young boy, is bringing harm to himself. He's bringing harm to himself in fire and water. So this is a serious, serious issue. The apostles couldn't get it out. This man went to the apostles. The apostles couldn't get it out of him. Why couldn't they get it out? They, their faith is lacking. And, and we put that with Matthew 10. They had the authority to do this. That Jesus gave them the authority, but they can't do it. And they tell Jesus, you know, we can't get this demon out. So what does Jesus do? What are three things? I want to just write these things down, okay? Jesus first, when he realizes, when he comes and learns of this situation, he's frustrated. What is he frustrated about? He's frustrated because his apostles should be able to do this. He says, you unbelieving, faithless generation. That's a shot at them. They should have been able to do this. Contrast that with the Syrophoenician woman or the Canaanite woman. In, in that episode, he says she has great faith. Here, he's rebuking his apostles because they lacked in faith. What a contrast. You would think it would be the other way around, right? Because the apostles have seen a whole lot more than she saw, but she has great faith, and he, could, he rebukes them for their lack of faith. He then has the boy brought to him, verse 17, and he rebukes the demon, and the demon comes right out of him. So this, this situation was so extreme that the apostles may have had some faith, but they needed a lot of faith. They needed a lot of faith and a lot of prayer, and they were lacking in that. And Jesus says, they're not ready yet. Now, later they're going to be ready. But right now we see that they're still not where they need to be. Do you see that? They got some issues. So let me just say a, a few final things here, and then I'll let the rest of our time be your comments. I want you to take five things away from this real quick, okay? Number one, Satan is no match for Jesus. That's the main thing to learn about Jesus casting demons out. That, at least in my understanding and in my view, is why God even allows this to take place in the time of Jesus. These demon possessions are taking place in the time of Jesus and the apostles because they gave Jesus an opportunity to demonstrate his power over Satan, his power over Satan's workers. Every time Jesus cast a demon out of somebody, he is demonstrating that Satan is no match for me. He's no match for me. His workers are no match for me. And just like that was true then, guess what? It's still true today. Don't get fooled by what all you see going on in culture and think the devil's winning something. He's not winning anything in the big scheme of things. He's still no match for Jesus. That's the key thing to see there. Jesus is greater than Satan and his workers. Secondly, demons acknowledge the truth about Jesus. The demons knew who Jesus was. They acknowledge him as a son of God. 
James, in James 2 and verse 19 says, the demons believe and they what? Tremble. So the demons at least believe in Jesus. They do a lot better than a lot of people today, don't they? A lot of people don't even believe in Jesus. The demons at least believe, but here's the key difference between them and us, hopefully, is we do more than just believe, we obey. See, the demons may believe, but belief is not enough. We got to obey. You got to have faith and works, James says. The demons got the first part, but they're evil. They have evil actions. They're in allegiance with Satan. So if we want to be better than demons, guess what we got to do? We got to do more than just believe. We got to obey. That's what really should separate us from the demons. If we just believe, we're just like them. Fourthly, you got to have faith. The apostles needed faith to overcome Satan's workers in a miraculous way in the first century. And in principle, that's still true today. If we want to really defeat Satan, we got to have faith. We got to have faith in the gospel, faith in Jesus. There's a reason why the Hebrew writer says without faith is impossible to please God. The apostles were struggling for a time with Satan and his workers because of a lack of faith. And if we're struggling today, maybe just maybe we got the same problem. We're lacking in faith. And then number five. And I want to emphasize this. Demon possession is not taking place today. Don't get fooled by the exorcist. OK, no demon possession. No demon possession. This is a miracle. Remember what Paul taught in First Corinthians chapter 13 when he talked about spiritual gifts. There was going to come a time when they ceased. When would they cease? When the perfect came, what's the perfect? It's not a reference to Jesus. In that context, it's talking about perfect revelation, the full and complete gospel. Once that took place, and that took place at the end of the first century, all the miracles ceased. That included demon possession. There can't be demon possession if you got nobody to cast them out. Does that make sense? So what you see with Jesus and the apostles, that was limited to the first century, and that's not taking place today. Even though our kids at times may seem like they're possessed with demons and not, not possessed with demons. So any final comments about, about that lesson? Anything at all? Please feel free to. We got a couple of minutes here. Anything? Yes, sir, Lance. We don't know you. <laughs> yeah. I recognize Paul, but who are you? And that wasn't, he didn't know who he was. That was the fact that he recognized their authority, but that Jewish exorcist had no authority. We don't, we don't fear you at all. We fear Jesus and his apostles, though. Um, good stuff. Yes, sir, Brother Dale. Go ahead, sir. The other thing is that the, um, the demons come from the realm of the spirit which Jesus is, so theirs is probably less about faith and more about knowledge. Yes. No, I think that's a great point. The, we're talking about things from the spiritual dimension. They know what's going on behind the curtain. That's why they had no problem identifying Jesus right away. Absolutely. Good thoughts, everybody. Thank you so much for being with me in this class. God bless you. We'll look forward to Sundays. We start Revelation. Thank you.